Genesis chapter 15. I want to go ahead and jump right into the text tonight. And I'm not going to give you a whole lot of time to get there because you shouldn't need a whole lot of time to look for it. Genesis, first book of the Bible, so not a whole lot of flipping going on there. Genesis chapter 15, while you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Chapter 15, verse 1, God's Word says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. I'm so excited to finally be able to begin a new series with you guys tonight. And it's one that, oddly enough, was formed out of something that I mentioned during the introduction of a previous message when I stated that I found it to be a strange thing to teach the Word of God to other people because I feel like the least qualified person to do so. Because I feel completely insufficient and inadequate to carry out this calling that God has placed upon my life. As a matter of fact, I would say that my greatest battle on a daily basis is with my insufficiencies and my inadequacies. Whether it be as a husband trying to love my wife, I feel like I fall short time and time again. Whether it be as a new dad now trying to care for my son, I already feel like I fall short time and time again. Whether it be as a pastor or a ministry leader to you guys, I feel like I fall short time and time again. I feel like I fail you. I feel like I fail God so often just being candid with you tonight as we get started. Whether it be as a friend even to the people that I'm closest to, I feel like I let them down time and time again. I feel insufficient. I feel inadequate as a friend, whether it be in accountability or whether it be encouraging or whether it just be present in a time when they need it. My inadequacies and my insufficiencies are my greatest personal battles. I was off a couple of weeks ago on a trip to South Florida, and on Sunday I'm floating around on the lake and I'm fishing and not thinking about anything much other than that. And that's when God took me back and reminded me of what I said in this previous message about so often feeling insufficient and inadequate. And from there, it began to show me some things and gave me a diagnosis, if you will. You ever feel like God just gives you a diagnosis of some issues in your life? Sometimes, as I was floating around on that lake, not thinking about anything, He struck me with this. And it's going to be the framework that serves as our new series that we're calling Sufficiency Deficiency. And if somebody wants to come back next week and say that five times really fast without messing it up, I'll give you some kind of an award. Because I promise you, I've stood in front of my mirror and practiced saying this about 150 times so I don't get up here and have a word vomit in front of y'all that you decide to remind me of the rest of my life. Sufficiency, deficiency. The CDC numbers suggest that probably around 90% of Americans suffer from some form of a vitamin deficiency. Obviously, these deficiencies vary in degree of severity. So you might have a vitamin deficiency and not even realize that you have one. But the symptoms of a vitamin deficiency can include fatigue, dizziness, pale or yellowing skin, muscle weakness. It can even include personality changes. That's how much of an effect it can have 
on your body. And these symptoms are typically subtle. That's why most of the time, even though we might have a vitamin deficiency, we don't even realize it oftentimes because they're subtle and they're not very major enough for us to notice. But most of us do have them. And over time, it may take months, it may take years for them to develop, but if it continues to worsen, eventually you'll become aware of those symptoms. And it's all as a result of the body not getting something that it specifically needs. And here lately, God has really opened my eyes to the fact that I'm sufficient deficient. My sufficiency levels are severely lacking, and the symptoms have been there for a long time. They've just been subtle, so subtle in a way that I never even realized that this was an issue in my life, but I began to realize how bad of an issue that it is to the point where I've realized here lately just how bad a shape that I'm in. And I believe that a lot of us as followers of Christ are suffering from the same deficiency. I think a lot of you in this room are going to realize maybe for the first time tonight that you're suffering from the same kind of deficiency. Let me tell you what some of the symptoms might include just to give you an idea of whether or not you might be dealing with a sufficiency deficiency. These symptoms include self-doubt. They include low esteem. More than likely you have weak confidence levels. That may also include a devaluing of self, feeling inferior. I've noticed this one too. There will be elevated levels of people-pleasing in your life. All of these things are symptoms that point to you having a sufficiency deficiency in your life. For months and for years, you've battled with feeling adequate or qualified to live on the level that Jesus has placed you on. And I know I'm not the only one that feels like this in here tonight. I believe believers all over this room are, are struggling. They've battled for months. They've battled for years with feeling qualified, sufficient, or adequate enough to live on the level that Jesus has placed you on. I think a lot of us just need to admit that we're deficient in this area. And so God shows up and he makes this covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. By you, Abraham, all people will be blessed but the problem is his wife Sarah is barren. And after a few years go by with no positive pregnancy test, things go sour in a hurry for Abraham and Sarah. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Don't you think it's funny how God's intention, when not accomplished in our desired time frame, becomes God's prevention? I feel like we missed it, Matt. I think it's funny how God's intention, I'm going to give you a great nation. From you will come a great nation. Nation. However, when that wasn't accomplished in Abraham and Sarah's desired time frame, now all of a sudden God's intention has become God's prevention in my life. Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from having kids. Some people in here tonight, God's made some promises to. And just because it hasn't happened in your desired time frame, 
Now all of a sudden, God's intentions for your life, you flipped over into God's prevention in your life. Just something to think on. So Sarah comes up with this great plan, and she says, Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The title that I'm giving for this first installment in our series is what I'm calling the pressure to measure. I really think that in many ways our sufficiency deficiency originates from this pressure to measure up that our culture pushes on us at a very, very, very early age. I mean very early age, before you can even remember it. We just had Graham, we go to the doctor, y'all know what they do? They show us the baby growth curves. Already my son is having to keep up with a chart that somebody's made that says he needs to be at a certain level at this age in life. He's not aware of that, but I am. And I see how already at a very early age, before most of us are aware, we're already pushed by our culture to measure up to a certain level. Once you do become aware of it, you move on into elementary school. Y'all remember A.B. Honor Roll? At my school, they used to post that like in the hallway for everybody to see. And it was a great honor to be on it. But it was a great embarrassment to not be. And now all of a sudden, we've got to live up. We've got to measure up. And then you, you move on from there. You start trying out for sports. And that's a good thing. You know, we want sports teams to be competitive. Not everybody can make the team. I'm sorry. I'm not a participation trophy kind of guy. But I will say this. It does some damage to those of us that don't make the team as far as measuring up goes. And then you move on from there, and you've you got you to try and go to college. You've got to graduate from high school. You've got to get a scholarship or a leadership or something like that. You better get some kind of ship so you can get some kind of scholarship so your parents don't cheat you out and kick you out of the house. And so we try to measure up, and we've got to go to college, and then there's marriage. We've got to get married. We've got to have kids. We've got to do all this stuff. And then it's what you drive. It's what you wear. It's where you live. It's the number in your bank account. I've got to measure up. I've got to keep up with everybody else around me. You know what happens is? Each time that you come up short on one of these cultural benchmarks, you start to feel a little more insufficient. And that's exactly what has happened to Abraham and Sarah. They started feeling the pressure. They started feeling the pressure of the culture of their time. Abraham says, I'm supposed to have an heir. I'm supposed to have a son. I'm supposed to have somebody to pass on the family name. I've moved my family I've left behind my friends to pursue this promise that God said He was going to bring into my life and nothing has happened yet and people are watching because that's the worst thing ever, isn't it? That's what really puts the pressure on us is the fact that everybody's so concerned with our lives and where we're at. People are watching and nothing's happening, God. And on the flip side, you've got Sarah. She's supposed to be able to bear children. It was a big deal, ladies, in this time to be able to have kids. And if you didn't, if you weren't able to, that was considered an embarrassment. You'd be considered a disappointment to your family. And so Sarah's feeling this pressure to bear children, and, and she can't. And now she feels insufficient. Now she feels inadequate. She feels like a disappointment. She feels like an embarrassment to the people around her. Both of them are starting to feel this pressure to measure up, and it's resulting in feelings of insufficiency. 
what I want to help you see tonight is what this pressure to measure does to us. And how I think it is a major contributing factor in developing a sufficiency deficiency within our lives. The first thing that it does is it, it, it wreaks internal havoc. This pressure to measure up, it wreaks internal havoc inside of you. Go back to chapter 16 and look at verse 2. It says, Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. The longer this promise of God's was going unfulfilled in Abraham and Sarah's eyes, the more the pressure began to bubble internally. As a man, Abraham's feeling insufficient to produce an heir. It's just not happening, even though God said that it would. And so he's struggling with those feelings. Perhaps he thinks he's done something wrong to prevent God's promise from taking place in his life. Sarah's struggling because she's not able to have kids, so now she feels inferior as a woman. She feels inadequate as a wife. She can't get pregnant. She's a disappointment. Everybody's talking about her behind her back. She probably feels those stares of contempt every time she goes into the grocery store. Every time she goes out in public in town, everybody sees Sarah. It's supposed to be Sarah. Oh, hey, Sarah, I thought you were supposed to bear a great nation. How's that going for you? Probably not too good, doesn't look like. So she's looking over her shoulder. People are whispering. People are talking. She feels more and more insufficient. Both of them are fighting self-doubt. They're fighting low esteem. They're fighting a depleted confidence. They're battling their self-worth. And they're temporarily holding it all together on the outside. But things internally are on fire. And if you allow it, this pressure will eventually cause you to panic. If you allow it, this pressure to measure up to everybody else around you will eventually cause you to panic. Sarah comes up with this crazy plan and decides, hey, Abraham, this ain't working out, so here's what we're going to do. Here's Hagar, my maidservant. Why don't you and her go try this out? See if you can have a baby with her. Maybe can, I can obtain children through her. This is a crazy idea. Hey, you, so I know we've got some married people in this house tonight. Any of you women, would you just willingly offer up another woman to your man and say, hey, we're, not, we're struggling on the pregnancy bus. Let's see if you can make it happen with her. That's stupid. But Abraham was also feeling the pressure. You know how I know he was feeling the pressure? Because he went along with it. <laughs> Let's just, just by chance, then it would never happen, but let me talk to my married people again for a second. If by chance, men, your women offer up this opportunity, the answer is no. <laughs> no, thank you. We'll figure it out. Abraham goes along with it. Why? Because he feels the pressure. I truly believe in my heart many of us here tonight look okay on the outside. But inside, your battle with insufficiency is wreaking havoc on you. You feel this pressure to measure yourself with the culture and the society around you. Pressure from your parents to make the grade, to find a job, to be more like your brother, your sister, your cousin, whoever. 
pressure from your peers to find a relationship, pressure to be who they are and to have what they have, pressure from your coach to be productive or to perform at a certain level, pressure on all sides, pressure to measure, pressure to live up to the standard that's been laid out for you. And every time that you don't measure up, your deficiency gets a little bit worse. Now internally you're filling up. You can't take anymore. You're about to make a decision to take control out of panic, just like Abraham and Sarah did. Please, please, please don't let what you believe to be your deficiency influence your decisions. Because it will always only lead to damaging you and the people around you. This pressure to measure, it's no good, man. It wreaks internal havoc. And eventually what that leads into is the result of external harshness. Go back to chapter 16 and, and verse 5. So they hatched this great plan. Here comes Hagar onto the scene. Her, her and Abraham do some birds and bees type stuff. You guys can figure it out for yourself. The plan actually works. It's actually successful. Hagar gets pregnant. She conceives a son. Verse 5, and Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant's in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. You might can cover it up to an extent. But eventually you can't help but wear externally what you're feeling internally. After things don't work out like Sarah and Abraham had hoped, things get a little bit dicey. A little bit of tension in the Abraham-Sarah household. Sarah chews out Abraham, so it's her plan. It works out, and she says, Abraham, you're stupid. This is your fault. Abraham gets upset, and he gets snippy with Sarah. He says, hey, my, this is your servant. You do with her however you want to. Sarah gets upset at, at, at Hagar because she's, feeling, she's struggling on the sufficiency bus, so she's going to take it out on Hagar. She takes it out so severely on Hagar that she runs him out of the house and says, don't come back again. And we see Abraham and Sarah in this place of, of just getting by with each other. The pressure to measure up, these, these feelings of being insufficient and inadequate, they finally pop the top, and it's not pretty. I mean, it's like a full-blown episode of Jerry Springer in the book of Genesis right now. Like, it just keeps getting worse. Somebody else from backstage keeps coming out. We're like, what are we doing? And let me tell you, these results are what we can expect to manifest in our lives as a result of the same deficiency. What begins to wreak havoc on you internally will eventually begin to manifest itself externally. And I'm going to show you how it happens. People who suffer from this deficiency can at times be the most rude, harsh, and critical people to be around. I don't mean that in a mean, insensitive kind of way. I'm just helping, trying to help you realize that it might be an issue in your life and that these symptoms might be part of a disease that needs to be addressed. This happens because, you know, our coping mechanism for when we don't feel like we measure up is to belittle everyone else down to our level. And so we begin comparing for the sake of criticizing. I don't know if you guys realize it or not, but it's not God's desire that we compare or criticize. It's God's desire that we compliment. His body is supposed to complement each other. We're supposed to make each other better. We're supposed to make each other stronger. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another, but most of us are doing our best to break the blades around us because we want them to be down to the level that we feel like 
we're living at, this deficiency, it, it disrupts all that. People who struggle with it can have a hard time with relationships. Because the moment they're made to feel insufficient or inadequate in it, they end it. And for a lot of us, this deficiency is resulting in personality changes in your life as well. And I, I want to warn you guys, be careful. Be careful. Because if we don't get this regulated, then like Sarah, what will end up happening is you will begin to run people out of your life. Sarah dealt so harshly with Hagar that she fled. And if you allow this deficiency to continue to increase in its severity, then this internal havoc it's causing will result in external harshness on the people around you, and you will begin to ruin relationship after relationship after relationship. Be careful. Once that begins to happen, you get to the last phase of why this pressure is so bad, because it robs you of happiness. Genesis chapter 17, skip over another chapter. Some time has gone by. Things have kind of settled down somewhat, and God shows back up again. Verse 15, and God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she, she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Now skip over to chapter 18 and verse 9. God shows back up again. This time, Abraham and Sarah are both in the mix. And they show up and they said, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So God shows back up. After all this mess has transpired, Abraham and Sarah are still childless. They're dealing with animosity in their marriage. Hagar has been booted out of the house, along with Ishmael, who was Abraham's son, by the way. Abraham and Sarah are on rocky ground at this point, to say the least. And though you, you can't really see it, we can sense it, they're miserable. And God shows back up and reminds Abraham and Sarah that the promise is still in place, and they laugh. Abraham actually fell down on his face in laughter. How many of y'all, if God showed up and gave you a direct promise, would find it to be so hilarious that you would sarcastically fall down on your face and say, that was a good one, God. What you doing? You, you, you messing around with me? You, you, you got jokes? You, you playing around? God shows back up and reaffirms it again, and Sarah hears it and does the same thing. She laughs. She's like, oh, God said, I'm going to have a baby, and I'm 90. Abraham's a hundred. It's getting comical at this point. They're laughing, but listen, their laughs aren't coming from a place of happiness. They're coming from a place of sarcasm. And I'll be, I'll be real honest because their insufficiencies have robbed them of their happiness. But listen to me, I promise there are people in this room tonight that because of your seeming insufficiency, you are sarcastically laughing at the promises of God in your life. What, you'll never leave me or forsake me? 
I ain't felt your presence in about 15 years, Lord. That was a good one. Oh, you got a plan and a purpose for my life? <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's why I just spent six years getting this degree, and now I don't want to do it. But that's a good one, Lord, plan and purpose, all that good stuff. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're going to give me the desires of my heart? And I want to get married? Now I'm 37, still single? <laughs> Oh, God, you're funny. You're cracking me up for real. But look at what ends up happening. Genesis chapter 21. Stay with me. We're at the finish line. Verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God did for Abraham and Sarah exactly what he said he would. Let me ask you guys something. What voice told you that it wouldn't happen? What voice told you that you were insufficient? What voice told you that you were inadequate? What voice told you that you were a disappointment? That you were an embarrassment? What voice told you that you didn't measure up? I'm sufficient deficient. I'm not even talking about y'all right now. I'm sufficient deficient. Because I have filled myself with the wrong voice and deprived myself of the right voice. That's why I have a deficiency in my life. Because in God's word, when I'm listening to the right voice, I don't hear any of this, you're insufficient, you're inadequate, you're an embarrassment, you're a disappointment, you're a regret, you're a mistake, you're a failure. I don't hear any of that coming from God's Word. When I look at God's Word, I hear Him say that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I hear Him say that I have been intricately woven into a masterpiece made after His image, and I have been chosen and set apart for His purpose and for His plan. And I'm sorry that some of you in here, in this place tonight, honestly, your, your insufficiency has been fueled by people that have spoken false things in your life from a church stage, saying that you were nothing, that you were pathetic, that you were a maggot, that you were useless, and in comparison to God, you don't even deserve to be here. That has some truth to it, but it's misguided truth. God doesn't look down and define His people by those things. Yes, He sees our nothingness. Yes, He he sees our hopelessness and our helplessness, but He calls us into His family, and He makes us join heirs with Christ, and He gives us a new identity, and He says, the old has passed away, and I have set my seal upon you, and I have given you my spirit, and you are chosen, and you are loved, and you are adopted, and you have been made, as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians, sufficient as ministers of a new covenant. If we're going to cure our deficiency, and I do believe 95% of us in here have one, we've got to move our standard of measurement from the world to the Word. I'm not a big amen guy, but I really thought that might have potential there. 
and, and let me tell you why. It says that God showed up with a promise. A few chapters later, God delivered on the promise. You know what that tells me? In God's word for us, there's no pressure. There's only promise. And it's not contingent upon you to fulfill it. If he said it, He'll do it. Move your standard of measurement from the world to the Word and relieve yourself of some pressure. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.